So the message for today is going to be piggybacking uh, off of what we've been talking about for the past several uh, weeks. And we've looked at, just to jog your memory, we've looked at who Jesus is uh, in his totality, his character, uh, what he did for us, and that helps us to define what the true gospel is. And then in seeing who the true Jesus is of the Bible, we then moved into his lordship and what the true gospel call is. It's not just to give us fire insurance and to keep us out of hell, but it is a call for us to surrender our lives to Him and He become Lord of our lives. And that's true salvation. And He truly becomes our Lord. Uh, And then last week, we, we took it a step further and said, okay, what does it look like or what happens when people reject the you know Jesus of the Bible, when people reject the Gospel? And we looked at two stories that were together of the same story in Acts chapter 24 and Acts chapter 26. Uh, where the Apostle Paul shared uh, in, in some legal matters, he ended up sharing the gospel uh, with a guy named Governor Felix and another guy named King Herod Agrippa II. Both of those guys came up with excuses as to why uh, it just wasn't a good time for them to become Christians. And as far as we know, uh, neither one of them believed. Uh, and it was left uh, you know, kind of on a sad note. And I was kind of led I continue to go down this road as I was preparing the message for this Sunday and we're going to take it a step further now today we're going to ask the question then what are people doing in hell and we're not I'm not going to answer the question how it seems to be phrased Uh, basic terms why people go to hell is because we reject Jesus as Lord and Savior and we are sinners but but the ultimate sin the unpardonable sin is rejecting Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and that's why people are in hell and some people ask well is hell reasonable or not how why would God do such a thing make an eternal place of suffering and torment and fire for someone who sins and rejects Jesus as Lord and Savior and the purpose of this message is not to get into all that but I can tell you this on a surface level answer the, the, the very simple basic answer to why God created hell and why hell is there and why it's reasonable as a punishment or judgment is because of the level of authority that is offended by our sin God is the highest authority he is perfect he is holy he is righteous and we break his laws and sin against him every single day and not only do we sin every single day but the people who choose to reject his most precious gift, giving of himself on the cross for our sins and our guilt, and we still choose to reject that, it makes hell reasonable for people who decide to say, no, I don't want, I don't want your grace. So we're not going to answer that question today. That, that's basically the, 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 the nuts and bolts of it. What we're going to ask today and hope to answer is really what are people doing in hell today? Uh, what 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 exactly or what kind of actions what are people experiencing what are people doing who are in hell right now and we're going to look at this one story that's familiar to a lot of people it's Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 31 and it's one of Jesus's clearest teachings on the afterlife and we're going to focus on the part that really tells us about hell Uh, but it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus And so I'm going to read the story, and then we're going to get into the notes here today. Uh, But but we're going to ask that question, what are people 
doing while they are in hell. So Luke 16, 19-31, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tongue of his finger in this water and, and, and water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. There's a lot of elements in this story that you know, we could pick out and study. We can do character analysis and all that kind of thing. But what our focus is going to be on today, like I said, is what are people doing while they are in hell? I want to focus on the rich man in particular. But, but the, the, the situation that Jesus describes here is there's this poor beggar uh, who is ill with something. He's got sores all over his body. And uh, he's sitting outside the gate of this rich man's house, this big palatial estate. And uh, this, this guy, his name is Lazarus, and he's just begging day in and day out for food, for, for, for anything. Uh, it says the dogs are licking his sores. The dogs were not like our pets that we have in our homes. Uh, the, these are wild dogs that kind of roamed uh, the wilderness and roamed in the streets. They were mangy, disgusting animals. And so this is, you know, Lazarus kind of represents the, the, the lowest of the low, the outcast, the one who has a very difficult life to live. And so he's in this story. you got this rich man who no name is given, uh, but he's got status, he's got wealth, he's got opportunity, he's got authority. Uh, he obviously lives in a gated palace of some kind. And he's got plenty. He says he fares sumptuously. He's living lavishly. And how the story goes, both these guys die, but they both end up in two totally different places. And you can only go one of two places to begin with, heaven or hell. And Lazarus, the one who was known by nobody, the one who was an outcast, the one who lived probably one of the worst lives you could possibly live as far as living conditions, he ends up being the one going to heaven. And we know by Scripture, uh, by what Scripture teaches, is he was there by faith, so he was a believer on the flip side of that, you got the rich guy who had everything he ever wanted, but apparently, based on what Scripture tells us elsewhere, he was not a believer. And even though he seemed to have some knowledge of Old Testament ways and he knew who Abraham was when he got to hell, uh, none of that was enough for him to believe. And so he ended up 
in hell. I do want to mention also that you see the the plights of these two different guys here. Uh, Notice that Lazarus was largely unknown. He was uncared for on the earth. There was no sign of a burial or even a funeral for him, which have been very degrading for a human being. Not We understand that in our culture, but especially in Eastern culture, uh, that would just be a very degrading low thing. But when Lazarus gets to heaven, I mean, he's had a name throughout this whole thing. He's got a name. He's cared for. And he's in a place uh, of, of significance. But the flip side of that, you got the rich man. The rich man had a great life on earth. He was known and he had status. He received all these blessings while he was here on earth. He received a burial when he died, so he was dignified in that. He sadly, though, remained unnamed throughout the story. He winds up in hell. He winds up restricted because you hear about the gulf that he can't cross, and he's left suffering. And so when you look at this story, it's going to be very short sweet and to the point because I really just want to hammer this image home in all of our minds because uh, the stuff that that I was coming across in this while studying it especially our last point really kind of rocked my heart and my mind when thinking about the plight of the lost and those who I know are headed to hell if they don't repent and believe before it's too late And so I'm going to give you that little commercial right there. The other points are definitely important, but hang around for the last one because that's the one that really rocked me. But short and sweet and to the point here because I want us to be motivated to take the Great Commission seriously. And this is going to be why. What are people doing while they're in hell? Number one, very clear, this is probably something that most of you out there already know, but number one, what are people doing in hell or while they're in hell? There is suffering in judgment. Verse 23, they have suffering in their judgment. You see very plainly in verse 23, the rich man also died and he was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. So in hell right now, for people who are there and for people who are headed there, if they die without Christ, there is this word, there is torment. And I'm going to put that word on the screen here and I'm going to give you what it means in the Greek. But when we say that, or when he says there that he is in torment, he was in torment in Hades or in hell. And then later on he even says, I am tormented here. The Greek word torment is adunao, That means anxiousness, sorrow, or grief. So the first thing that I want to point out about this is most of us understand whether we believe that hell is real or not, we all, almost everybody out there has this understanding that hell is this place of fire and suffering and brimstone and and heat and weeping and gnashing of teeth and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we all understand the, the, the physical pain and suffering that is attributed to or is a part of hell. But one thing that we need to also get here is hell is not just a place of physical suffering and, and, and burning and physical pain. Hell is also a place of tremendous mental and emotional torment and anguish. 
You see how you know, we just defined it in the Greek. It's, it's anxiousness. It's sorrow. It's deep grief. You think about hell and in terms of being torment. You know, if you set the physical suffering aside, what you're getting is the, the highest amounts of stress, the highest amounts of anxiety and worry. Uh, it's the highest amounts of depression. And hell is not just a place of physical suffering, it's also a place of mental and emotional anguish and suffering. Verse 26, you also see this. And besides all this, between us and you, when Abraham is talking to the rich man who's in hell, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. People from heaven can't go to hell, but who would want to? Nor can those from there, from hell, pass to us. So another part of this, of this mental and emotional torment that's going to be a part of hell and the experience of all those who are there is apparently they're going to be able to see what they're missing for eternity. Because he, he clearly saw Abraham. He saw Abraham's bosom, which was another term used for heaven. He knew Lazarus was there. And the people in hell are either going to be seeing this or they're at least going to have an eternal knowledge that, wow, this God was real. This Jesus was real. Heaven is real. And I rejected all of it and now I can see it all and I can't ever get there. It's very clear in this statement that there's this gulf fixed between us and you and neither side can cross to the other. That there is no purgatory. There is no second chance. There is no mulligan. There is no do-over. There is no secondary court date where you can plead your case and get in because your good outweighs your bad. Uh, there's no annihilation where you cease to exist. There's also uh, no concept of floating in limbo between one or the other. When you die, it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. When you die, you go to one of two places, heaven or hell. The rich man ended up in hell and it's not just physical pain. It is mental and emotional anguish like has never been experienced before and will be experienced for eternity. And a lot of it's going to have to do with the people who were there in hell are going to realize what they arrogantly rejected. They're going to realize what it means to be separated from God forever. And that's going to torment them in their minds for the rest of their lives in eternity. And I want to be sure and point this out too, which you notice here. Hell is just as final as heaven Hell is just as final as heaven. Sometimes we, you know, it's real easy to think about heaven. We don't always think about hell. And we like to talk about heaven being eternal and it being bliss and being peace and, and nothing but pure love and joy. And hell's going to be the opposite of that. But we must remember hell is also going to be eternal. But all in the negative. So number one, what are people doing while they're in hell? They are suffering in judgment. And here's the last point that I, I told you is going to be short, but I also told you that this is the one that really rocked me. What are people doing while they're in hell? They're also, number two, there is crying out for the gospel to be heard. What are people doing while in hell? There is crying out for the gospel to be heard. Verses 27 and 28. 
And the rich man said this, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father. He's talking about Lazarus. Please send Lazarus to my father's house. He's, he's asking that Lazarus be raised from the dead so that he can go back and tell this guy's family everything that, uh, about the gospel. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. So aside from the, you know, the, the well-known weeping and gnashing of teeth that takes place in hell, besides the cursing, besides uh, the blaspheming that's going to be taking place in hell, people in hell are going to have these moments of clarity. Maybe, maybe like when the rich man, when, when they choose to look up and, and they're tempted to look back up again and they see what it is they rejected and what they're missing in heaven. And then their mind's going to go to all my loved ones that I left behind that don't know about this or who have rejected this or, or all, all, my, uh, all the people that I know that I know are headed here where I am. I don't want them to be here. Would you please send someone to go witness to them? My friends, my family have to be, know, they have to be told about this. I don't want them to be here where I am. That's going on in hell too. And the rich man cries out. He says, send Lazarus back from the dead. Uh, as, you know, this miracle or this sign that he goes back, uh, that will surely convince them of heaven and hell and, 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 and have him tell them about all of this so that they'll believe. Again, this, this isn't something we often realize that Scripture tells us about hell. But there are people there in hell right now crying out for the Gospel to be heard so that others won't end up like them. And that, I don't know about you, but that thought really got me. And quite honestly, you really think about it, and you think about the cry here of the rich man, there's probably more people in hell crying out for the Gospel to be heard than people in churches today crying out for the gospel to be heard and that's that's what's wrong and a lot of what's happening today is we don't take evangelism seriously enough because hell isn't real enough to a lot of us Like I said, I purposely made this sermon one of my shorter ones because it's really on my heart to emphasize these two points about people who are in hell right now. And I'm talking to myself as well. There's tremendous mental and emotional and physical suffering in hell. And people in hell are pleading that the Gospel be heard so that their loved ones won't end up where they are. That's the experience of hell in a nutshell. And so I want to end with this. I want to appeal to all of you, um, especially all of you, which is probably 99% of us now, who are on social media of all kinds. Everyone seems to be so... And I'm when I say everyone, I'm talking about people in, in our community, people in the Christian community. 
people of the church, people who claim to be of Christ, I see a whole lot of this motto of faith over, you know, faith over fear with the COVID situation and, you know, meeting back in church and not. And I see a whole lot of this. We're going to have faith over fear. We're going to trust our God. We're going to press forward, all this kind of stuff. And there's, there's so much boldness amongst so many Christians and so many churches saying, we are going to defy the government. We're going to stand on the Word of God. We're going to go forward with the truth. We are going to meet together. We're going to have faith over fear. And we're going to stand for the name of Jesus. We will not be told how to worship. We will not be told when we can worship. We will not bow the knee to Caesar. And there's biblical grounds for that. But Christians and churches... Why don't we have near the amount of boldness when it comes to evangelism and standing up against hell? And I ask myself that same question. There are times where I, I have gone to witness to people and it was no problem. And there are other times where I know the Holy Spirit was leading me to go talk to someone and I let my fear or my nervousness inside me keep me from doing it. And the question I ask myself is the same that I'm asking you right now. Why are we so bold to defy the government and to say we're not afraid of coronavirus and to say all these different things and make these political statements of how we have faith over fear and we trust in our God, but we won't take that kind of stand against people going to hell? The devastation of hell is is infinitely greater than COVID. Yet we're braver in defying our government and we're braver in defying the culture than defying hell by sharing the gospel. And why is that? I'm going to give you an opinion. My opinion, my view on why that is, is because so few in the church truly believe hell is real. And it's well documented. There are mainstream churches and uh, celebrity pastors who have come out and totally denied that hell is real. Christians, Jesus, not just the Bible, but Jesus Himself taught that hell was a literal, real place. And as we've looked at today, He can't tell it any clearer than this we have to understand and we have to believe that hell is just as real as heaven is. And more people are going to hell than are going to heaven. What are we going to do about that? If we truly believe that hell is real, that what Jesus taught us about hell is the truth, then we should be concerned about people we know who are heading there. What are you doing to tell them about it? I say this often and people probably get sick of hearing it, but I'm going to say it again, especially these days when we're all locked down. You have this incredible tool called social media that the Apostle Paul, the Apostles, the Disciples, the early church didn't have. 
You can reach hundreds of people with one post or one short video in a matter of seconds. And yet so many of us waste that opportunity by sharing all this other ridiculous stuff that has nothing to do with the Gospel. There are people dying and going to hell. On average, 150,000 people die a day. And if you really break down all the numbers and who the true Christians are of those who die, it's well over 100,000 people who are going to hell every day. And yet, we're more concerned on social media about saying faith over fear and I'm not afraid of coronavirus and posting political stuff, going back and forth, fighting. We're more worried about showing pictures of ourselves and how, how good we look and what we just did and look what's going on in my life when we have this amazing story and this amazing message we could be telling people that Jesus made a way for you to escape hell. If you repent and believe in the true Gospel and believe in the true Jesus that we've been looking at these past several weeks and turn to Him as Lord and Savior, you will escape hell. Why are we not passionate about this? Quite frankly, why don't we care? I'm going to say it one last time and then share a passage with you and then we'll close. Did you hear the plea of the rich man who is still there in hell today? I beg you, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers that he may testify to them so they won't come to this place of torment. That's a guy in hell pleading that someone would go share the Gospel with his family so that they won't end up where he is. Romans 10, 9 and 10 makes it very clear. Repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Believe that He was raised from the dead and you will be saved. First question is, have you done that? Because otherwise... Hell is where you will end up if you die without Him as your Lord and Savior. And for those of you who already know Jesus is Lord and your, is your Lord and Savior, what are you doing? How are you using your platform and your voice with your circle of influence? No matter how big or small it is, what are you doing to steer people away from hell? Let's pray.